Good morning, church family. It is so good to be with you this morning. I hope you're doing well. Uh, my name is Jacob Simmons. I'm the minister to single adults and pastoral care. And you thought I was fired because I've been in the student building, but I still work here. So that's good news. Uh, I, uh, I want to take a moment to thank all of you who've been praying with and for us. Uh, we welcomed B. Simmons into our home on June 19th. We have a baby girl, and uh, she is doing wonderful, and Suzanne is fantastic, and we're just so excited. So I want to thank you for praying with us. Uh, the bad news, though, is that I'm delivering this sermon on three hours sleep. Uh, but the good news, no, it's okay. The good news is I wrote it on three hours sleep, so that's okay. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. And you don't deliver a tired sermon well slept, so we're doing great. No, I, I slept well because my wife is the best, uh, and I'm delighted to be here. We're continuing our series called Let's Feast, where we look at the feasts that God laid out for his people according to Leviticus 23, so that's where we'll start. Uh, last week, Chad preached a great sermon on Sabbath, the need for every week stopping and resting in God. Sabbath challenges us to depend on God in ways that we would not honor on our own. It's a weekly moment to remember and celebrate who God is and what he's done. And then he goes and lays out in Leviticus 23 several other feasts that we'll be looking at for the, for the coming weeks. And before we start, uh, well, there was uh, Passover, which would the one we're going to look at today, which is celebrated in March and April in springtime. This would be around the barley harvest. Uh, and followed immediately after that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. And then in the middle of the summer would be the Feast of Weeks, right around the, uh, the wheat harvest. And then in the fall time would be uh, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and the Feast of Tabernacles around the, the harvest of the summer fruits and the olives. So this would be like the yearly calendar of feasts that God has laid out. And I want to ask the question, why would God use feasts? This is the sermon before this sermon, for the record. Six quick points about why God would use feasts. What does it do? What does it teach us? It teaches us that one, time belongs to God. The morning, the evening, and the night, the day, the month, and the year, all of time belongs to God. And when we stop to remember and celebrate and we give that time back to God, it reminds us that all of time belongs to God. It reminds us that nature belongs to God. The barley, the wheat, and the fruits all belong to God. I can water my hydrangeas and make sure they get sun, but I cannot make them bloom. I cannot make the olives grow. Only God can do that. Nature belongs to God. Schedule belongs to God. Each season of the year, winter, spring, summer, and fall, a, a rhythm of creation and then rest and then recreation. Schedule belongs to God. And believe it or not, our schedules belong to God. He has given us time and we can give it back to him in our schedules. Our community belongs to God. The feast pulled people together. Sabbath was the one feast that was meant to be celebrated in the home, but the rest of these feasts and festivals are meant to be celebrated as a community. Deuteronomy 16 says that we are to observe these in the place where the Lord chooses for his name to dwell. So in the Old Testament, that means Jerusalem at the temple. So all of God's people would gather together and go to Jerusalem to celebrate. It's how we get the story of Jesus being lost amongst his family as a 12-year-old boy and being found at the temple because they would every year go down to Jerusalem because the community of God's people together belongs to God. And in the same way, our history belongs to God. 
By remembering and celebrating what God has done amongst the people, future generations preserve their identity. The Passover meal is not just for those who experienced it, but for every generation to live and relive what God has done in their history. It preserves a sense of national identity. And lastly, glory belongs to God. Something happens when we get together. Something happens when we get together and we remember who we are and what God has done for us, that our glory, our songs are lifted up and they belong to God. That's why God uses feasts. It's why we remember holidays because all of these things belong to God. So let's look at Passover. Let's look at Passover in Leviticus chapter 23. I'm gonna start in verse four. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. And the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So on the 14th day of the first month, which would have been around March or April, uh, God's people were to observe the Passover, which is the opening ceremonies for a week-long celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover is a meal that we are to use, that God's people are to use to remember what God has done. But to really understand Passover, we have to go back to when it started. So turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, I'm gonna start in Exodus 1 real quick and remind you that God's people were enslaved in Egypt. They found themselves in Egypt because Joseph, God worked through Joseph and he, he uh, allowed him to collect food so that when a famine came, his brothers and his father could be saved. And so they all went down to Egypt and they began to grow as a people. There were more and more and more of them. Lots of babies, not a lot of sleep. Thank you. And it got so many Israelites that Pharaoh looks and says, these people are going to take over. They're going to take over, so let's oppress them. Let's give them hard work. Let's make them slaves. And even he went further than that, and he told all of the maidservants that uh, when a firstborn male, when a male is born, we're going to take him, you're going to kill him. You're going to throw him in the Nile River. For 400 years, God's people were enslaved in Egypt until God called Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. I have heard their cries. I have seen their tears. And I am going to deliver my people. I am the Lord. So Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And Moses says, well, God is going to send a plague. And he does. He turns water to blood and he sends frogs. And Pharaoh's like, okay, okay, you can go. Just make the frogs stop. And the frogs stop and he says, ah, never mind. His heart is hardened. And this begins a rhythm uh, of God sending plagues and Pharaoh's heart being hardened. He sends gnats, flies, and kills the livestock. And Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. Ah, never mind. His heart is hardened. He sends boils on the skin of the Egyptians. He sends hail, locusts, and darkness. And it's hard on the Egyptians, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened. It says specifically in some instances that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart, which is kind of hard to swallow in some ways. Why the Lord would do this, but the Lord is doing something that only God can do. 
We would not remember and celebrate if Pharaoh made just an executive decree, okay, they're gone now. Or if the Israelites snuck out of the land of Egypt, but God is doing something that only God can do that we are going to remember forever. So we get to Exodus 12. Moses has told Pharaoh that if you don't let us go, there's going to be a plague that strikes the death of all of your firstborn. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he does not let them go. And we get to Exodus 12, when God tells Moses, this is what your people are going to do. They're gonna go and they're gonna find an unblemished lamb. And he says unblemished because God knows how people want to keep the very best things for themselves and give God and others the scraps. But he says, no, you're gonna take an unblemished lamb and you're gonna bring it to your home and you're gonna kill it. And then that's too much for you to eat. You're gonna get your neighbors and bring them in as well. And you're gonna drain the blood into a bowl. And then you're gonna roast that lamb. You're not gonna boil it. You're not gonna eat it raw. You're gonna roast it. You're gonna eat it with a meal of matzah bread, unleavened bread, and with maror, bitter herbs. It's where we get the word myrrh. And this is gonna be a meal and you're gonna eat it quickly. Exodus 12, starting in verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Our first point, God's people are identified by the blood of the lamb. God's people are identified by the blood of the lamb. God says to Moses, this will be a sign. I will see the blood because they are then, after draining that blood into a bowl to take a hyssop branch. It's like a, a plumy bloomed flower and they're dip it into the blood and paint one door, another door, and then the lintel, the beam over the top. So that when God comes through, he's going to see the blood of the lamb and he's going to pass over. The blood of the lamb will save God's people from his justice. Continuing in verse 14, before the lamb is killed, God's people are asked to remember. Before the lamb is killed, God's people are asked to remember. Verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. He then goes on to explain uh, the feast of unleavened bread and how this whole festival of Passover was gonna work, but he does all this before anything happens. I like this part, it makes me laugh, that God says, okay, I'm gonna do something and you're gonna celebrate it forever. It's not like the event happened and he said, that was cool, we should remember that. Before it even happened, he said, this is how you're going to remember who I am and what I have done for you. And he says it two, three different times. This is how important this feast, this festival is gonna be so that you remember every year what I have done for you and for your people. And so Moses and Aaron go and tell God's people what they are to do. And verse 28 says that they do it. Uh, it says specifically, and the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And then death comes. 
Verse 29 of chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there, there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. Pharaoh is saying, get out and never come back. Don't ever let this happen again. This is a tragedy. This is dark, disturbing. This is a tragedy. God's justice is poured out on those who reject him. God's justice is poured out on those who reject him. And God's justice does not dis discriminate by class. Pharaoh all the way down to those in the dungeon experience death. God's justice does not discriminate by race. Both the Egyptians and their servants, which are probably the non-Israelite servants that they have, none of them escape God's justice, all those who reject him. This is a tragedy. America has fought wars where less people have died than the number of Egyptians that died on this night. It's dark. It's likely that you've heard someone say, I can't worship a God like this. I can't worship a wrathful, angry God. A God of love, that's what I want. I can't, I can't worship a God like this. But we have to break this down a little bit. Remember, what God has done is the exact same thing that Pharaoh did in Exodus chapter one. It's a bit of holy retribution. They had a chance to turn and follow God and they did not. Pharaoh asked that all, all the males of Israel be killed to be thrown in the Nile and only God has gone, gone and done it. So then uh, our human sense of satisfaction at revenge uh, starts kind of creeping up a little bit. It's not just the, it's not just the firstborn son's that are killed, but the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Not just the sons that would carry on the family name or the family trade, but also the economic impact of losing livestock. But more than that, remember when the Israelites are in the wilderness, they make an idol and they shape it into a golden calf because that's what the Egyptians worshiped. God not only killed their firstborn, but he killed what they worship as well. The animals that they chose to deify, he killed their gods. This was complete this is not a happenstance. God is saying something to these people. And before we take any satisfaction in this, we have to, have to also think of the ways that we have rejected God. Think of the ways that sin has entered into our lives and the ways that we reject God with our time, with our money. Think of our lust and our pride and our greed and our anger. Think of the ways we've rejected God and how we've treated one, or one another or when we turn a blind eye to those who need our love and attention. We can identify with the Israelites and how they are enslaved and need an act of God to deliver them. But we can also identify with the Egyptians because we are deserving of death. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the wages of our sin is death. Like the Egyptians, our households, we deserve death. But praise God, he does not leave us there because God himself can identify with the Egyptians. 
the Egyptians lost their firstborn son and God sent his firstborn son. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God knows what it's like to lose a firstborn son and he did it out of his love. To those who cannot worship a God of justice, we have to remind them that more than that, he is a God of love so that both Israelites and Egyptians can experience God's eternal life. Amen? This is good news to us, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That we have to put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb, whose blood covers our sins. We put our faith in him the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. This is good news. This is good news that we are not stuck in God's justice and his wrath in death, but we are promised and given blessed assurance of eternal life. Amen. There was a, a, when I was in Chicago, there were a group of uh, performers at the theater I performed at, at the IO, uh, who were Jewish. And every year they would get together for a Passover Seder. I always wanted to be a part of this group because one, there were some very funny people involved and second, they had a great name. They called themselves Mazelprov. <laughs> That's good. Who doesn't want to be a, a part of that, right? I called my friend Molly this week who's a part of this group. She's Jewish and I asked her to tell me about the Passover and you could tell how excited she would get. It's like Christmas, right? It's gathering together. It's not like Christmas. Take that back. Strike that from the record. Uh, <laughs> but her family, the tradition of getting together for the Seder, for the Passover, she talked about how you'd walk in and the table would be set and the Haggadah would be right there on the special plates, the, the book that they would read through together. Talk about how they would eat the egg of the bitter herbs together and how they would take all the matzah. She said there was lots of matzah. I liked that. Apparently there's a lot of wine as well. I wasn't invited. Uh, but you take, they would take the wine and dip their pinky in and put it on the special plate 10 different times for all of the plagues. A chance to remember. And I'd like to be a part of that. I've done a Seder before and it can be a really great chance to remember the history of God's people. But the Seder is not necessarily for us. It is and it isn't. Because Jesus fulfills and transforms the Passover when he institutes the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22. Jesus, on the night before he died, mere hours before he was to go to the cross, gathers together with his disciples and in verse 14, he says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus on the night before he dies is celebrating the Passover meal. And when he takes the bread and he takes the cup of the vine, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. 
Jesus is going to be our Passover lamb on that Passover week, weekend, crucified, his body given for us, his blood covering us. And he's saying, when you eat this meal, eat it in remembrance of me. No longer do you only remember the Exodus, the Passover that God has done in history, but now you're gonna eat this meal and you're gonna remember me. And when you drink from this cup, not only are you gonna remember the blood that was shed and how God spared you, but you're gonna remember me because this is the new covenant. The old covenant is going to be fulfilled and now there's a new covenant written on your hearts. This is great news because we are invited to feast in this meal and celebrate what God has done through the person and work of Jesus Christ who goes to the cross and whose blood covers our sins so that we may be forgiven and have eternal life. So right now, that's what we're gonna do. Right now, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper as we have been commanded, and we're gonna remember and we're gonna celebrate what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna ask the band to come up and I'm gonna ask the ushers to get ready and get in their place as we feast together. How excited we are to feast, to do what God has told us to do in taking the Lord's Supper. I wanna say a couple things about the Lord's Supper. One is this is a meal that is for all of God's people. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to, to feast with us. If you have not made that decision, if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, we are glad you're here. I'll kindly ask that you would just take the plate and keep passing it. I want all of us to reflect, remember, and celebrate who God is and what he's done, our need of salvation and how God has provided a savior. So we will go ahead and uh, distribute the elements at this time and uh, have some quiet contemplative music. Thank you.
the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We have a couple challenges here. The first challenge is to make sure you get this cup and take it with you and put it in a receptacle on your way out. That's housekeeping. All good feasts, that's housekeeping. But this begins the opening ceremony for the full feast of unleavened bread, where for seven days, God's people would only eat matzah bread. It may not taste the best, but it's a, rem- a reminder, remembering what God has done. And Paul uses this feast to talk to the Corinthians about their sin, to talk to them about there's no yeast in there in the same way that there should be no sin in your lives. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 5, starting in verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So when we remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross, Because of that, we then go and try to lead sinless lives, lives full of sincerity and truth, not with evil or malice. In the same way that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, we are now the unleavened bread. We are made pure because of Jesus Christ and we can go and live sinless lives. And as we gather together, we will continue to feast and to remember what God has done through us and for us, and we will feast until that day when we are no longer remembering, but we are feasting face to face to that great wedding feast of the bride and the groom, our Passover lamb and our savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that we can feast together as a body of believers, remembering and celebrating what you've done. And we thank you that You instituted the Passover and you fulfilled it in Jesus Christ and that we can take the Lord's Supper and remember. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you by feasting this morning. And I pray that you will take this, our lives, and you will take our offerings and take what we give to you and you will continue to use it for your glory. The glory is yours in the name of Jesus. Amen.